is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a time But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Welcome back to Decode, the Batuta Advocates' new political podcast series that we've put together in the lead-up to the federal election, 2022 federal election, that is. At this current moment, it hasn't been called yet, but I think it'll be happening in the next 24 hours. So by the time this is published, most likely it has been. Or it might not have been. Who knows? Maybe the Governor-General needs to pull out a machine gun and point it at all of our leaders and make them line up and announce this thing because uh, it's getting a bit ridiculous. What's the last date it can be? Uh, the last date it can be was the 21st of May. So yeah. that's uh, that's the day after Scott Morrison's birthday too. So oh, right. he'll be uh, wishing for a birthday treat yeah. of the political kind. Now, throughout this podcast, we've aimed to... Uh, Decode is the word. A lot of the jargon and a lot of the uh, the waffle that we get out of politics. There's a lot of words that get thrown around that the average punter doesn't understand and they're not meant to understand because they keep us in the dark. Throughout this podcast, we've, we've hit some sitting MPs, even some ministers with some tough questions and we've gone right across the spectrum. We've gone left to right to up to down and we've actually, funnily enough, interviewed quite a few independent candidates this time around. We've interviewed David Pocock, the independent Senate candidate for the ACT, and of course Allegra Spender, the uh, independent candidate for Wentworth. Today we're doing that again. We've got a um, an independent candidate in a different variety. I guess uh, both Pocock and Allegra represent more metropolitan areas, but today's independent, Hannabeth Luke, is a rural independent. Regional? I'm not sure what the electorate page goes by. Is it regional or rural? Bit of both, I'd say. Bit of both. Well, thank you for joining us today, Annabeth Luke. Thanks for having me on today. Your electorate has been in the news quite a lot of late. The floods in uh, Lismore and everything that's kind of happened in the north of New South Wales. I mean, basically for the last five years, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of eyes. You've had some disasters and you've had some atrocities. You know, you've had Byron Bay's and a lot of uh, rebrand for the uh, Northern Rivers region. I know you actually don't have Byron in your electorate, but you do have a lot of towns in the surrounds. Yeah, you've got the new Byron of Yamba, and uh, I suppose you've got the new Alstonville of Aluka. Yeah, you've got a lot of different people. And then, of course, you've got the beef capital in Page. Now, this is an electorate you're trying to win over. How do you reconcile all of these wild and different people and different opinions and different spectrums and different industries? Well, you know, I've, you, I mean, you mentioned Byron. I went to school in, in, in Byron, the Byron Shire, and escaped down to uh, Evans Head in the Woodburn area about, uh, well, nearly 10 years ago. And um, but look, I've, I've lived in this region for all my adult life. And I think I have a really good understanding of what makes many of the different people in, in the region tick. Like I might be a university lecturer now but you know I've been a young young kid in social housing I know what that's like I understand what it's like to struggle to get ends meeting and you know I know what it's like to work in the region and to struggle to pay rent find a rental and I'm in the emergency services so is my husband 
and as a mother, I understand the, the school system and, and so many of the major challenges that the region faces, which is really right now we're in a housing catastrophe. It was a crisis turned into a disaster. We've got a catastrophe. Uh, many of my close friends and colleagues and students are locked up in that. And uh, it's such a critical time for our region. It's such a challenging time. We've been going through this for a number of years now, but I'm very passionate about supporting our communities and the many different parts of our communities from <laughs> called Yamba, the new Byron Bay. Uh, I don't know how happy they'd be about that. <laughs> they wouldn't um, be very well, happy. You know, I think there are a lot of Yamba locals where, you know, I think you're probably one of the only people in the area who can call yourself an authentic, true Byron local before it was destroyed by the assorted yuppies of Melbourne and Sydney. I think there would be a lot of people in Yamba now who are sweating on the fact that maybe one day they will be pushed, you know, a bit further down the river, so down to McLean where, you know, at least they'll be closer to their local high school. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, look, it's a really beautiful region, and the, as a part of my um, electoral, call it the campaign, we've got the teal and rust tour. You know, the colours of my campaign is teal. We've got these beautiful sparkling oceans and these red soils from our farmlands, and um, unfortunately they're, you know, out in the sea looking pretty mixed up at the moment. But the point of this tour is to go down to the coast, speak to the fishermen and the surfers and find out what's important to them down on the coast, but also... The work that I do, and I've been doing for 11 years now, is with farmers uh, across Australia and across this region. I'm extremely passionate about our rural industries, farming cooperatives, fishing cooperatives, and I think that's something that is just so critical to the future of regions like ours. To have those uh, regional industries well supported, and I think people are realising, and, and I'm actually having a lot of people coming up to me from these primary industries saying, look, we always thought the Nats were behind us, but we're actually really having our doubts now, and we will support you as an independent because we understand that those guys are making decisions in the cities and based on the influence of, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, coal and gas. Yep. And an independent, I don't have those ties. I don't have that weight of a political party pulling me down. I can step up and speak for the region. And that's for the primary industries. That's for affordable housing. It's for integrity in politics because none of that matters if we don't have honest politics. Well, as we've seen in the recent flood disaster in your area, the incumbent representative down there, Kevin Hogan, he's, he's essentially been left a hang out to drive by his own party. I mean, like, they haven't really come down here with any real tangible support for your community. Is this race kind of becoming now more of about personalities as opposed to parties in the electorate of Page? I don't think it does come down to personality. I'm not here to pick on Kevin Hogan. He's a nice enough guy. I think it's absolutely about the party. I've had a meeting with him in the past when I was doing coal seam gas research and, uh, you know, he, he seemed like a very reasonable person and someone who was wanting to step up for the community at that time. But unfortunately, voting over the last eight years demonstrates that when you're a part of the major parties, whether it's LNP or Labor, look, he votes with the party and he doesn't cross the floor. And that's important for people of the region to know. Look, it's just a shame. He's not free to vote independently. And that's something that I can do. And I think that's a really important message for our voters. It's an interesting predicament he finds himself in because the whole concept of the coalition is the broad church, the big tent, where you can cross the floor. Of late, we've only really seen them crossing the floor over conspiracies and vaccine mandates and that kind of stuff within... Actually, there are a couple there. A couple of the moderate liberals would cross the floor for the Religious Bills Act. And that's actually feels like pre-election behavior. 
really. You've got to start actually um, being a standout in your local community leading into an election. There is the question, though, and, and, and not to be petty, but, you know, the Prime Minister would say to someone like, say of someone like you, someone like Allegra Spender or um, Zoe Daniel, they would say, well, how independent are they? Because there's obviously some sort of framework you're all working underneath or, or above. I'm not sure how it works, but there is some sort of yeah. campaign that links you all together. While you are independents and you're not with major parties, do you answer to higher powers? I don't know whether they'd want to be called higher or lower powers, but look, it's the community. That's what probably (laughs) worries Scott Morrison and others. We don't have that, and maybe it's hard to understand, but we we answer to the community, and we're inspired by people like Kathy McGowan and now Helen Haynes and and Dali Stagel, who stepped in there in those footprints. It's about this community-driven politics. It's not about being funded by a big business, and we're not. Mm-hmm. It's about answering to the community and, and that whole uh, Indi approach, so this whole voices movement that's jumped up across Australia. Apparently, there's nearly 40 groups now because we're not just trying to say, look, I want to be a politician. It's about saying, I want to change politics itself. And that means bringing the community with you. And when I want to make policy, I need to know what the community wants me to do on different things. And and that's why, look, I, the reason I stood up was because Barnaby Joyce said that committing to carbon emissions was going to hurt farmers too much. I got really cranky about that because I know that the most important thing to farmers is to pass on a healthy farm to their kids. I know this because I spend my whole life working with farmers and I know that they're also on the front line of these disasters. So they're not representing the rural people in the way that they are claiming to. And as an independent, you can. It looks at, To go back a step, the reason I ran was that. Mm-hmm. The moment I decided to run as a candidate, it is my responsibility to find out everything that's important or the main things that people want me to stand up and fight for in Canberra. And that is affordable housing in our area. It is number one. It's also a really important thing to people is that we have a locally run disaster response force, something that's separate to the ADF and is ready to respond when our communities are facing floods, fires or other emergencies. Like that's the kind of things that our, my community is wanting and it's the kind of thing that is, is currently just it's, it's failing us as, as it stands at the moment despite best efforts of some of our amazing emergency services. When we're facing climate disruption, is what, what's here now, we need to be prepared as much as we can and, and assume plan for the worst and hope for the best. I want to get into the housing catastrophe in a second, but what you're pitching for disaster relief and recovery and emergency services, you mentioned that you and your husband are both in emergency services in some capacity. Where would that put you in your local region? That put me um, on the middle of a very large lake that used to be Woodburn. Mm-hmm. So I'm marine rescue, but we, um, a couple of my crew went out and we started pulling people off roofs, picking up people from Woodburn where they ha- you know, the whole houses were underwater. And um, we were just out there doing what we are trained to do, rescuing people from flooded homes off roofs and picking up the elderly and vulnerable people and making sure that people are safe. It was absolutely terrible and heartbreaking time to see our communities underwater. My husband is in the fire and rescue, so he was there for a lot of the cleanup. And so we were working because he's a teacher at the school as well and doing night shifts in what became an evacuation centre in Evans River School. We were working 24 hours a day between us and managing kids. It was just a very challenging time, but also it wasn't just us. The whole community just stepped up 
And I think that's what is so important about what's just happened up here. Like everyone is traumatized, don't get me wrong. And to have the flood come back through again, just re-traumatize people. And I've got serious concern that, you know, mental health is a big issue right now. But also we've demonstrated we can come together. We can work things out as a community and the community can achieve an enormous amount through from chaos into coordinated efforts pretty quickly. So what I'm really passionate about bringing into reality for our communities is this locally run disaster response force. It's separate to the ADF and it's there to rapidly respond when our communities are facing floods, fires and other types of emergencies. One thing I think is really important because of what we've learned from these floods and the fires behind them is that the community response is critical and it's because People in the community are there on the ground. Yeah. Well, they know who's missing. They know what's going on. They know what what street yeah. goes where. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They know. Yeah. They know how the water's going to flow, and I think that's really, really important. How yeah. which direction often the fire's going to travel as well, and uh, that's landholders, that's people living in the towns and regions, and people living in places like Evans Head that will become an evacuation centre because they rarely flood. So just taking all of those things into account. So. That will require training up local people to be more ready and have more skills to make sure that, you know, I mean, (laughs) we're we're sort of just getting people a little bit more attuned to going a little bit slower when you're rescuing people and you're going past other boats and just a couple of little things. Yeah, on the tinnies. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like carrying some elderly people and everyone's zooming past and I'm like, it's all right, everyone, just hang on. small things like that but it can but also trying to getting people with the right equipment and ppe life jackets and just thinking a little bit more on, on along those lines so a little bit of training there and but look i think you know, people are generally very smart and pe- most people are doing the right thing but more training is good because it makes it more automatic when you need to be out there and, and taking action the other thing that would support this is Real resourcing of staff. What happens with our emergency services is that they are predominantly volunteer-based. And I'm a volunteer, so is my husband. Many people love to volunteer, and I don't want to take that away from them. But if there are more people who were paid and there can be a career in the emergency services beyond what we have now, I think you would find a lot more young people attracted to these um, different organisations at the moment. It seems to be, you know, <laughs> the predominantly el- uh, older folks or retirees yep. got the time. And my husband and I, we squeeze it in because we're passionate about community, but we have to take it in turns to go to training on a Tuesday night. Yep. <laughs> and someone else is going to look after the kids. But And look, I'm not saying we would choose that as a career, but people would. And, yep. and it would be an industry that people would be proud to be a part of and they would be more ready when the next fire, drought or high winds come through. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I just want to touch on the issue of housing affordability. I mean, it is very difficult for anyone to buy a home anywhere in this country now, but especially the rate that we've seen the prices increase in the Northern Rivers area. How do you solve a really complex issue like housing affordability in an area that's so desirable? I mean, who gets to choose who gets to live in social housing there, for example? So... I've heard our local members say it's a complex issue, and it is. But right now, we have an opportunity to really reassess the way that we do housing. We've lost tens of thousands of homes that are unlivable right now in our region. And what I've also been calling for is a reconstruction commission to talk about exactly what you're raising there. 
How do we do this properly? How can we bring the right people around the table, which includes developers, architects, farmers, scientists, and the community to say, right, what's the best way forward? So I've been speaking about this for months with people before the floods came through, and there are great, great ideas out there. And part of these are basic things like in London, when you build any development, half of them need to be affordable housing. Yeah. But we don't put them in a place separate to everyone else. They're a part, they're, say one in three houses is an affordable or social house. So it becomes a part of the region everyone's in together. So I think those kind of ideas are important. In Lismore, I know the communities already come together at least once, like 150 people came around and said, well, how do we want this to look? And there's some really big questions coming up. Should we be rezoning? Should we be doing land swaps? And those are the questions that we should at least be putting on the table and having a really good discussion about right now because, you know, look, I've got so many friends that are just not knowing what to do. The floodwaters were swept through their house two times in the last five weeks and they started to rebuild. They came up with some plans to resite their house and then they realised it wasn't high enough. And then there's rumours going around that some areas are going to be condemned. There's a bit of a void of information and people tend to <laughs> cling on to other information at that point. So it's not, it might not all be true. And Either way, there's a, there's a hysteria surrounding housing right now. There really is. And what concerns me is when we have the local members say this is the end of the discussion. I think this is the time that we should be having these discussions with the right people around the table. And that is what was done in Darwin after Cyclone Tracy. The Reconstruction Commission was responsible for having this oversight. There's billions of dollars but apparently being thrown at our region right now, but it's just being done in a piecemeal way. We need to see some coordination. And people need some certainty for the future. And uh, that means asking those difficult questions right now because people are wanting to know what to do right now and where to put their efforts. And it's actually really sad. I know far too many people that haven't been able to access the funds that have been broadcast. And you know, at the moment, if you're a business or a farmer, they'll give you 15 grand. But above that, you've got to put up the receipts. Yeah. So you've yeah. got to have the remainder of that <laughs> money, that, you know, $60,000 ready to spend. Well, it's not just my, my mate that's been flooded. It's his his dad and his uncle, the whole family's been absolutely trashed by this. So what we need is real support, coordination, and not aid by media release. That takes us to a, a next topic we kind of want to talk about with you, which is this idea of integrity in politics, which I know you're running on. What is the feeling up there? Like you would have a in your electorate a better gauge on, on middle Australia than many of our political class, our cabinet members would in their electorates. I know life is very different on a hill in Cronulla to what's happening in the bottom of the walk right now in Lismore. You know what I mean? There's some economic diversity, at least, in your electorate is what I'm trying to say. It's not a blue ribbon electorate. No. We're one of the poorest in the country. We're the eighth poorest electorate in Australia. We've got a couple of pockets where people are doing better, but half the people in page are on less than $500 a week. And to put that into perspective, a family home in casino, one hour away from the coast, is $350 a week. So do the maths. People are really on the bare bones there and yeah. uh, people are, are wanting to see things get better and they've been getting worse under the current government they've been they've been going backwards and people just want to they just want a fair future yep. they want to know that they can get a house for themselves for their kids and that their kids can have access to a fair education so that's been going backwards and what i'm finding people are coming up to me that i've never met before in places i've never been before and saying you're hannibal 
I'm really impressed with what you stand for. You know what? I've been voting, my family's been voting national party or country party for generations and this election I'm voting for you because I'm just finding that they're not acting in the best interests of our electorate or my family anymore. And that's, that's what's happening to me almost every day. And there's a real shift. People have lost faith. And at the end of the day, your average family, your average person doesn't think too much of politics. They just want to vote someone in so they can do all the work. They can go to Canberra, vote on their behalf and act on the things that matter to them and they can trust them. And that's what's so important. That's why trust is so important in politics. People want to elect someone that they can trust to go to Canberra and fight for them. They don't have to think about it. Well, the government has been kind of working on this scare campaign where they're saying, you know, a vote for a teal independent is a vote for the Labor Party. It's a vote for the Greens. In your specific case, how will you be directing your preferences? I'm inspired by Cathy McGowan, actually, and as I've said before, and that's to not direct preferences. As an independent, you're responsible to the community. As soon as you say that I'm going to preference one way or another, then you're not 100% independent there. So I think that that's a really important message. The other part of the message that's really important is you have to preference all boxes. You need your vote to count. Vote, even if it's not for me. Make sure you vote because that's your golden coin. That's your chance to make a decision about your future and the things that matter. But get involved. Learn who's standing, what they stand for, who they are, and then make your decision. But for goodness sake, vote and make your vote count. Yeah, and you've got to number all those boxes too. Exactly. So on the streets, people are coming up to you every day telling you what they think. Can you see in the average punter, in the page electorate, that they can see through the Prime Minister's what you described as aid by media release? Can they see through that? We know that the Liberal Premier of New South Wales has had to actually had to address it in a press conference in the last few days. So it's not at all a partisan comment to say that there hasn't been the help delivered to your electorate, to the people that you are hoping will vote for you. There hasn't been the the aid that was promised delivered. Can they see through that? Or do you feel like it is the dead cat on the table where everything's up in the air and the people think that they're being looked after? Or is there an actual feeling that they're being left for dead because they're poor and no one cares? I've had multiple farmers tell me that they feel absolutely abandoned by the current government. These are multi-generational national voters who said, I feel abandoned. And you make sure you tweet that later because I have had enough of this. And so on the ground, people are really angry and they are stepping away from the current government and they're wanting something different. But they're looking at the parties, they're, looking at the, they're actually stepping away from both major parties and there's a real mood for change and it comes from frustration and anger. I just hope... And my intention is to say, look, this anger, this frustration can be turned to hope. We can change things. We can have a better future. We can make sure that our communities have a fair go. But it does start with that golden coin that is your vote and putting it towards independent and not into the major parties. Because I'm here to speak for the community and I'm not going to be throwing billions of dollars into coal and gas. So I think that's, that's a key message here. When you look at leading into an election at this time, people start talking about, particularly the sitting MPs will talk about their stripes and what they've done for the community. And the longer they've been in Parliament, the less they've got to say. Can you quickly give us a summary of school in Byron, not born and raised in Byron, you you were just educated there, and then you've basically stayed in the area. Southern Cross University in Lismore? Is that where we we started? Yes, that's right. 
That's right. And can you kind of tell us what you've worked in? You've, you just said to us in the interview before, you've worked with farmers. You've worked in that space. You're in the sciences, I believe. Yeah, look, I'm in the agricultural sciences. I teach science and regenerative agriculture. I was the founding coordinator of the first regenerative agriculture undergrad degrees in the world, and they were in the fastest growing and some of the most successful agricultural courses in Australia. I think that's something I'm very, very proud of. And I've been a part of, as I said, this community for uh, 26 years. Uh, I moved here as a teenager. And I've always, always will work and do my best. And I will work hard for the things that matter. And I will be there as I was there when the flood came. And I will be the first to help people. That is what I do. And that is what I'm passionate about. And the work that I've been doing in terms of working with agricultural communities. It's about bringing people's voices to the people making the decisions. That's what I've been working on for the last 11 years at the university, and that's what I will bring to politics. Now, Allegra and Zali, I mean, Allegra hasn't come out, but um, Zali's come out and said that there's an option of supporting a Liberal government, but definitely not a Morrison government. We end up in a hung parliament. Bob Catter, we never know which way he's going to go, particularly now after, um, you know, 10 years. He supported the Liberals under the hung parliament with Julie Gillard. Yeah, but he calls himself an agrarian socialist. So, so Bob could go anyway, and Bob's good mates with Albo. And then you kind of look at all these different other seats. If some of these independents get through, and I, I actually don't think this applies to you, but it certainly does apply to Zali, and it certainly does apply to Allegra Spender. They are from Blue Ribbon Electorates. You're from somewhat of a bellwether electorate. You know, it could go either way. And in fact, Kevin Hogan has been on the ropes before and he's moved to the crossbench. He actually has done that before after the, the, the Turnbull spill. Anyway, where I'm going with this is people will be voting for Allegra and Zali because they are liberal voters who can't stand the liberal government. They're not Labor voters whatsoever. So they've got to keep that in mind in a hung parliament. In the circumstance of a hung parliament, what are you thinking? And then, you know, you go from being an independent candidate to the most powerful person in Australia in the space of, I don't know, how long it takes to count the votes, 24 hours, we realise we've got a hung parliament, and then you have Australia at ransom for two weeks. What are you thinking in that very likely scenario? I'm not here to do deals. Let's mm -hmm. make that crystal okay. clear. I'm here yeah. to represent community on the things that matter to pay on the people's page. So that means I want to be looking after our affordable housing and our regional business and economies, farming, fishing cooperatives. Those things are absolutely critical. And also I want to be looking towards that fair future for our kids, fair education and access. I will work with the government that is going to bring about those best outcomes for the people of my region. And let's not forget climate action because our environment is our economy. We understand that in the regions more than anyone. Farmers and people of the rivers and the fishermen know that more than anyone. So that's where I will be stepping if we need to make that decision. If we have a hung parliament, I will be stepping up for those things and those issues that matter to my community. It is interesting when you talk about the idea of transitioning from certain uh, industries. You know, fisheries have had to make a lot of changes over the years. Certainly, you know, Nimbin all the way to Byron was Timberlop country, and they've had to change that up a lot. You've actually even had um, Clarence River was home of Australia's asbestos mines once upon mm. a time. So what are you telling these people? I mean, obviously, people in your electorate know that you can change and you have to change. I know cab drivers have learnt that all too well over the last five years with the rise of Uber and whatever. What are you telling people whose livelihoods will be directly affected by this positive future you're pushing? <laughs> 
I'm not quite sure what you think I'm pushing there. Net zero 2010. (laughs) What I'm absolutely passionate about is regional economies. So my PhD was on looking at the impacts of coal and gas on the social and economic fabric of rural communities. And being an expert in that field, I can say that it didn't have a positive outcome for the regions that I looked at. That's from speaking with hundreds of people and surveying thousands. So what I support is regional economies, the things that make our area special. I had a nice yarn with a local prawn fisherman yesterday, Gary, and he was talking to me about he's a fourth-generation prawn fisherman. And they've got such a good understanding of the river system and the changes to the river system over time. They really get this. There is going to be new industries. Of course there is. But it's about working with the industries we have. And right now we're throwing, Australia is throwing $22,000 a minute at coal and gas. That's $4 a day per Australian at subsidising those industries. And our primary industries are some of the worst subsidised in the world. Yeah. So that's where food comes from. That's where our fibre comes from. So I think we can be doing a lot more to support our primary industries and that's what I'll be fighting for. If we do this in a smart way, we can do this in a way that's going to look after our industries and the environment because these industries understand that they need to be working with the environment if they're going to be viable into the future. I mean, speaking of regional and strong regional economies, you know, with a few uh, policy changes, a few different tweaks in the legislation, you could actually turn Nimbin into one of the most wealthiest towns in rural New South Wales. You just need yeah, to change it, a few laws. What are, your, what are your thoughts there about... Yeah, it could be <laughs> the Dubai of New South Wales. Yeah, it could be uh, the San Fran, the, uh, the Colorado even. Yeah, I mean, the laneway boys could each have a green Porsche by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You probably can't be seen campaigning at Mardi Gras, can you? <laughs> Look, I actually, I've, I've, um, I'm working with a couple of farmers. I'm doing an event at Almara in a couple of weeks' time, and I've got a hemp farmer coming along. And mm-hmm. there's a very strong advocates for hemp as a building material. Look, we are at a point where we, we need to be thinking about the building materials of the future, and we need to keep our, our minds open, and thinking outside of the box is a part of that. And, you know, there's a potential for a whole range of industries. Maybe we haven't thought of yet, but it's about working with people here, working with people on the ground, having the conversations about industries that may have less of an impact on the environment. I've got a student at Southern Cross who's working on native grains and the potential to bring native Australian grains into a cattle grazing system as a, and also as a fire control method. So thinking outside the box, we've got some fantastic industries. But look, the leaders in these industries are already often thinking out of the box and doing some really great work. But that doesn't mean that we can't shift and evolve as well. Yeah. Now, um, we've gotten a pretty good look at your elector just in this conversation today. What I want to ask is, how's the old Woodburn pie shop looking? Oh, don't. I went past yesterday. Look, it breaks my heart. In fact, I went past this morning again. It's Woodburn's just, it's trashed. It's really yep. awful. It's breaking my heart. And same with Lismore. Look, it's just, yeah, I don't know when you'll be getting your next pies from there. But look, people bounce back and their, their resilience and their positivity is incredible. I think I might have seen some fridges back in there actually this morning. Yep. So maybe it won't be as long as you think. <laughs> Well, yeah, hopefully it isn't as long as this election campaign is going to be because it's going to be a uh, brutal, brutal month and a half for all Australians, particularly for the independent candidates uh, right across Australia, which includes yourself. Hannah Beth Luke, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing more from you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. 